So we're going to start off with an exposition from 1 Corinthians. And what you're going to see is biblical principles throughout that I think are very important when we rightly handle the Word of God, and especially in how the Word of God and how the Scriptures are translated, and how we use our Bibles. And this makes a big difference in how we choose a Bible translation. And so I'll hopefully give you some biblical reasons as far as what Bible translation that you use and some things to think about there. I'll hopefully challenge you on those matters. But I think overall you're going to also see the detail of the Bible and the Scriptures to admire the inspiration uh, of the Bible by the God's Holy Spirit. All these things are a wonderful thing to think about. And so um, I'm always excited to do this lesson because it's, it's a good blend of very practical things to think about but also uh, the scripture that uh, has great application to where uh, we are more oriented to the details of what we read in the Bible. So we'll talk about that more in a moment. Before we get any further, I ask that you pray with me. Let's pray together. Our Holy Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the scriptures, for your word of God revealed to your apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit. Father, I ask your blessings upon us that we will never uh, set the Bible aside, that we will be constant students of your word, that we'll love it and take it to heart, that we will let the word continue to change us. Father, we thank you for the word who has become flesh, who's died for us and rose again. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Father, may we live every day in faith and remembrance of what he has done for us. Father, we ask that you forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This week I was looking over news articles and things that are going on as far as translations. And in Spain, a new translation has come out. And a lot of people are upset about it because it's taking out any references to gender in it. And so uh, God has not, uh, you know, there's been translations even in English translations that have changed God from God the Father to God the Mother. Or in this case, in Spain, it's God the Parent. In China, a new translation has come out and people are, are upset about it because it's a little too liberal. There's another translation that's come out in India where a lot of these things and uh, beliefs and of, of these concepts of culture, they're trying to put them into the Bible and to alter them. And what do we do with that? Can we trust every book uh, that says on the cover that it is the Bible, that it is the Holy Word of God? And so as you think about that, you might want to we want to say, yeah, I would love to think that way. But there are translations out there that are not right. Uh, and I'll just mention one off the top of my head. There's a group out there uh, known as the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they have the New World Translation. And if you were to open your Bible and go to John chapter 1 and read those first verses there, verses 1 and following, you'll see that they refer to Jesus as a God in lowercase g. They're changing the text. And there are other groups out there that have done that. So when I come to the Bible, I want to make sure that the text that I'm using is faithful to the Word of God. That's not altering or changing it in any way. And I, I want the truth. I got a new translation this last week, and uh, that's what I, I used some birthday money for. I was like, I'm going to get that translation. And it just came out in 2022. And I was reading the preface to it, and I encourage you to do that. I'll come back to that point in a moment. But I read the preface, and it says, This translation is translated with precision and accuracy. It is meant to be a window to the Hebrew and Greek text behind it. I love that. I think it's beautiful. That's the way it should be. 
All right, so we do have translations out there where individuals of different backgrounds come together and translate the Bible uh, to be faithful to the text. And so we can have great confidence in that. Let's go to our passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, 10 through 13 for our exposition. I'm going to make observations as we go along and add some more as, as on, the, on the back end of it. Um, But kind of doing a little bit different here, but it's on the screen as well. He says, but to us. So Paul is speaking here and he's speaking to the church at Corinth. And he's speaking about us who teach you, who come to you. And it's very clear that he's talking about the apostles. So the apostles, he says, to us, God revealed them. What did he reveal to them? Well, you back up in the text. It says he revealed to them the depths of God, the depths of God, the depths of what about God? His wisdom. That's the focus in the the first four chapters of first Corinthians. So you learn about the wisdom of God. You get the depths of God and the revealed to who? To the apostles. How? He says through the spirit. All right. There's enough observations right there um, to, to just sit back and think oh, that's amazing. And then we keep reading for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God, the depths of the wisdom of God. So the Holy Spirit, he knows all these things about God, the father. And so you've got the three and one working together. Together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit inspires Scripture. He says, For who among men knows the depths of man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? In other words, who knows about the depths within you and your thoughts and your thinking? Well, my Spirit does. And so it makes sense that you would turn to the Spirit of God to gain His great wisdom. All right, Paul says, Even so, the depths of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. And so there are people today who would like to invent and have philosophies and ideas and come up with their own wisdoms about God. But the truth is, is that it must be revealed by the Holy Spirit to God's inspired prophets. Look at this, verses 12 through 13. He says, Now we, the apostles, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the depths graciously given to us by God. We want to know the depths of his wisdom that have been given to the apostles by the Holy Spirit, of which depths we also speak. And how do the apostles speak the depths of God's wisdom? Pay attention to this. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but how? But in those, what does he mean by in those? In those words taught by the Spirit. So, the wisdom of God is given to us. The Word of God is given to us by the Holy Spirit. How? He teaches them. And it comes through the apostles. And it's in words. How important are words? We're going to talk about that. But it is taught by the Spirit, these words combining the spiritual deaths with spiritual words. Now, if you look up there and you see some of those words in italics, it's because they are inferred and they're not verbatim stated in the Greek. Uh, but in this translation, I absolutely agree with those inferred words. And that, that would be up to you to determine that from the context. Some other observations here, again, from 1 Corinthians in review, if you're filling out the outline there in the bulletin, is that the Holy Spirit knows and communicates or teaches the depths of the wisdom of God. We see again that the apostles of Christ received the Holy Spirit for this purpose. We see that the apostles were given wisdom from God by God's Holy Spirit. And we see that the apostles' words were taught by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm trying to be emphatic about this as we look at it, that we know where the wisdom of God comes from. 
What do we turn to? What do we rely upon? We come to the words of God as they're recorded in the Bible. And we see here as the Apostle Paul is writing in a text that it becomes a part of the Bible, he's telling where they come from. Where do our words come from? It's not merely that they're coming up with these thoughts and ideas on their own, but that God is guiding them. Now, Jesus even says this. In the night of his betrayal, he says to his disciples there in John chapter 15, he says, if they listen to me, they'll listen to you. Because why? He says, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you. You read this in John chapter 14 and verse 26, John 15 and verse 26, John chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. You read that God's Holy Spirit, and he says there, will guide you into all truth. Every bit of it. All of God's truth is revealed through the apostles. That's what Jesus communicates to them. That's what he says to them the night before he is crucified. I know this as I look at these scriptures, and I could do this lesson next week with another exposition, and the next week with another exposition, and I can stack them on top of each other for a month or two without end, making this same point. That the church of Jesus Christ needs to use translations that are true to the words revealed by the Holy Spirit. How am I going to do that? How do I know that? Someone might say, I don't know Greek and Hebrew. What am I supposed to do? I'm going to give some help with that in in our study this morning. But you can do it. You can take um, translations that are faithful and precise, that are word-for-word translations, and you can compare them. They may use different synonyms, but they're usually saying the same thing in the same grammatical format. So, But you're not going to find that with some other types of translations. Another thing that when we look at our Bibles and we look at the translation we pick up, it tells a lot about us personally, where we are in our spiritual life, where, what our maturity is. Um, if you're like me, I mean, as a preacher, I shuffle. I've been shuffling through translations. I don't know if you've noticed that in the last year. I went from ESV to New King James. Now I'm using the Legacy Standard, which is just the updated American Standard. And uh, I might shift again. So, but those are my top three. And I, they're top three for a reason. And uh, if I find any to put up there and make a top five or a top ten, I would do that. There are other great translations out there, so don't, don't let me say those top three and you think, well, I like the King James, the old one. And I like the American Standard 1901. I do too. Those are great translations. And someone might say, what about this Christian Standard Bible? Yes, I like that one as well. Um, so there are, there's a lot to choose from in great translations. But there are some that I would have to give you warning about as well. It also reveals a lot about your theology. As we've talked about this, um, as I mentioned this morning, there are books out there that say Bible on them, but they're not accurate. You have different groups out there from Jehovah's Witnesses, Roman Catholic Church, the Mormon Church, other groups out there that are not teaching things that are accurate, and they have their own uh, Bibles, and there are things in them that are subtly changed that you may not, uh, you may not catch. I would encourage you to be careful with versions of the Bible. So one version of the Bible is the message. And if you go to Colossians chapter 2, it equates baptism and calls it as an unnecessary um, initiation ritual. Okay? Is there something wrong with that? Well, yes, that's not what the text says. And what else are you teaching there? You're teaching your own opinion and you put it into the text. And so you want to be cautious about that. Now, can I use the message in a good way? Yes, sometimes I can use it. I would use it as a commentary. If I'm having a hard time reading a certain passage, I might go over there and look at that. But otherwise, I can't rely upon it on the fine details. I can't. Just can't do it. All right, you might look at the New Living Translation. 
All right, it reads real smooth. It's very nice. There's some w- good things in there as far as translation and as a commentary. But if you go to Acts 22:16, which I'm going to show you in a, mo- in a moment, it disconnects baptism from the washing away of sins. Why would they do that? Well, because they already have. What a lot of these translations are trying to do is they're not really translations. They'll say we're a version. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to interpret the thought of the apostles and prophets and interpret it to you to make it easier for you to understand. Can you, do you hear a problem with that? Now, I would go along with that if there wasn't a better way. If you couldn't just take words and translate them into words. And so in Greek, you can take, there's an equivalent to every Greek word to at least a phrase of words. And it's called a formal equivalent translation. That was my training in school. And you get a precise way of reading. And it's not hard to read. You read the ESV. It's a word for word translation. You don't start reading through it and say, wow, this is just all clunky and wooden. And I don't understand what I'm reading. Not usually. It's a very good and smooth translation. Uh, but look at the new, that new Living Translation again. Another reason why I'm very cautious about these translations is the New Living changes the word elders in the Bible. There are no more elders. They're now called church leaders. Church leaders. And you can look that up for yourself. There's the passages, Acts 20, verse 28. I checked it again this week to see if anything had changed. Nothing's changed. Still there. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Timothy 3.1, important passages about elders and deacons. And the word elder has been changed. Um, and as I mentioned before, uh, the, the JWs have the New World Translation. That takes the word God and changes it to a lowercase g. And so those are big deals to me. I don't know how you feel about it. When I see those things they're, they're, they're convicting. All right, here's a comparison here between a word-for-word translation, mine, and you could use any word-for-word translation and compare it to this. But Acts 22.16, this is what it says there. And now why are you waiting? Rise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on His name. All right, and as you look at that, be baptized and wash away your sins. I wish I could translate a little bit better in a better way to where you see that the word baptism is in an aorist middle tense, which means it's in a past tense, and that the washing away is in the exact same form and that they're connected together in Greek by a word that says chi, which means and. And so they're connected together. In other words, they're doing the, they're connected in, in the relationship. So being baptized and the washing away of sins are connected. But as you look at some translations, they want to disconnect this. I'm going to give you some passages this morning. When you go and look at your translation or look at others, this this would help you in that. All right, so Acts 22.16 in the New Living says this. What are you waiting for? Well, that's pretty close, right? Uh, Get up and be baptized. Well, that's not too far off. But then there's the period. And then have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. So there's a big break there. And that's a, you know, you might not pick up on that. It's kind of a subtle change, but it makes a big difference in the way that it's translated. And I love using Acts 22.16. When I have a Bible study with someone, a personal Bible study, I like to end right there. I will ask whoever I'm studying with, you read Acts 22.16. And why? Because they read it to themselves. And why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And I will just sit there and let them, don't say anything, and let them you know, read that passage and think about it. Great for evangelism. So it kind of bothers me when I can't do that with some other translations. All right. Now, these are some good passages I put right here. 
When you're going through uh, a Bible and you're looking at its faithfulness, I mean, you could take my word for it or you can put it to test. And you probably picked up a few of them this morning. So John 1.1, we've already picked up on that one. Does it say uppercase G or lowercase G is Jesus being God? All right, that'll give you an indication. Psalm 23 and verse 1, if you want to look at the agreement with the Hebrew text, this is a verbatim quote there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's verbatim what it says in Hebrew. What does your translation say? It may say something a little bit different. And it gives you an idea of what it says there. All right, you're looking for precision in Greek. You can go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and verse 17. And Jesus right there, he will say again, no, not, nothing will pass away from the law. And nothing will, you know, he said, I came to fulfill the law. And not one jot or iota or tittle will pass away. So there's a lot of precision there. What does your translation say? All right, two that stand out to me. This is, these are big ones to me. I will go, probably first verse I go to, when I'm, there's a new translation, I like to go to Ollie's and bookstores and look over the different translations. If I see a weird one, I'm like, oh. Because one time I bought this one that I thought was a weird one when I was in college. And I thought, oh, I want one of these weird translations. I want to see what it says. Well, come to find out, I just bought the best new translation, the ESV. And so, and then it ended up being word for word. And then I gave it away and bought many copies and give those away. So I ended up liking it a lot. But here's a test. Psalm 51 and verse 5. All right. If you're reading a translation that distorts things, that makes you want to think that you're born in sin, that original sin, that you're a sinful baby and that kind of teaching, which we've come across before. You can go to Psalm 51 and verse 5. Does it say that David was sinful at birth? That he's a sinful when he was born? Or does it say that he was born in the midst of sin, in, the, in a world full of sin? There's a big difference there. All right, but you can see those little things. And going along with that, Romans chapter 7, does it say, does it speak of that someone who has sin living within them, does it say that they have a sinful nature? That's the idea of original sin, of sin living within you from your birth. Or does it say sinful flesh? In case the book of Romans says when you sin and you continue to do that, sin can come to live within your flesh and in your body. There's a big difference there. All right, and you can go to the, the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Look at how poetry is presented in your Bible. You can go again to Acts twenty two sixteen 16 about baptism. And the second one I would recommend about baptism is this, 1 Peter 3, 21. 1 Peter 3, 21. Does it say that baptism now saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That's what it should say. Of course, it should say not a washing away of the filth of the flesh, but it's an appeal to God for a good conscience. All those things should be a part of that passage. But a lot of times it's broken up where they're like, well, we don't like that it says baptism saves. And so we're going to reorder it and put in commas and all kinds of things. All right. I want clarity there because I know what the text originally says. Now, you don't know Greek. How can you test that? I would tell you, get some good, reliable translations. Go back to the old King James and use it. Uh, go back to the American Standard 1901 and use it. Use the New King James, you know it. And those are word-for-word -word translations. And you can go and then examine the New American Standard. Does it, add, does it line up? Does the Legacy Standard line up? Does the ESV? I think you'll find that they do. But you're going to find others that are not consistent. And this is important. Why? Because the mentality is, I'm handling God's Word. 
All right, put yourself in that position. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I've got a question coming up in a minute. But if God, if you're in the position of an apostle or prophet, and God spoke to you His Word, and He told you to write it down, how would you write it down? Well, I would rephrase it, right? And, and reconstruct it, and maybe put some things in there to help it and, and explain it better. I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll breathe new life into the text. No, you would be like, you're absurd. You're, you're, you're out of your mind. If someone, God gives you the message of God and He gives you word for word, I presume that everyone in here, we would write down word for word what God told us and what He had revealed. I would want it that way. And so I would expect that in a translation. So if God revealed His word directly to you, how would you record His words? Hopefully, I, would, I think that we'd agree on that. But I'm going to put an emphasis on that in a minute. Should Christians use, um, should we use translations? Well, not all of us have the time to study Greek and Hebrew, okay? I am very poor in Hebrew, and I need a lot of work on it. One day, I hope to be able to study it further. But right now, I don't have that ability. But I do know this. Did you know that Jesus and the apostles, when we go to the text of the Bible, we can tell that they're quote many times. Sometimes they'll quote from the Hebrew and translate it into Greek, and sometimes they, Greek, they quote from the Greek translation. There's little, little nuances there that could be picked up on there that are not easily translatable. Um, but scholars have noticed this. And so when you look at the, the Greek Old Testament that the Jesus and the apostles and prophets used, the Greek Old Testament as they did it and they used it was word for word translations. Um, there are some times when there are difficult passages that they would explain it more. Um, we'll talk about that. There are different types of translations out there. There's a literal word for word, and I would encourage you to stick with that. All right, make that your primary. You know, if you're going to have a discussion on doctrine and truth and understand God's word, go to that those translations. And that's not the extensive list right there. That's just five that come to mind off the top of my head. A dynamic translation, thought for thought. Um, I would be cautious in pinning using it to pin down what you believe, because why? You can't rely upon them, but you can go to them for, as a commentary. But not much more than that. All right? They're useful for reading and communicating as a commentary, but they're not accurate in doctrine. Then there's the Christian Standard Bible. It's an optimal translation, which means it's mostly word for word, but when there's hard parts, sometimes it will help you to understand the text. So if you need that, um, usually the NIV kind of falls in that category. The NIV, I know NIV and King James, I'm not supposed to say anything about because people get mad at me. Okay? But the NIV will do this. Uh, the NIV is usually word for word, even though they claim in their preface to be more of a thought for thought. All right. So that's actually me kind of saying it, it's it's better than than what some have who've criticized it. But there are other things that um, that concern me uh, about that translation. But I want you to be aware and look at that. And as we read that passage and we see that God's Holy Spirit has revealed these words as taught by, by His Spirit, I don't want to change them and I don't want to alter them. I want a window, okay? I've used the illustration before. When I want from my Bible, it's the same thing I want from a high, ultra high definition television. I want the best. I'm going to go buy one. I want it to be clear. I want it to be look amazing, okay? I want to see all the fine details. When I watch my football team, I want to see the blades of grass coming up 
uh, from their cleats while they're running down the field. Okay, I want all of that. Uh, Maybe you don't have that kind of conviction as I do, but I want the definition there. And you get that with a word for word translation. The best thing I can encourage you to do is to read the preface, the beginning of your Bible. Just read the preface of your translation. And you go to the philosophy section. You don't have to read the whole thing. Just go to where it says translation philosophy or something like that. And you'll get a statement. I'm going to use the ESV this morning, but I got my legacy standard. I got my new King James right here, all three of them together. So I can go to the preface and I really recommend the ESV because it will help you to see how people translate the Bible. But this is what they say. The ESV is essentially literal translation that seeks as far as possible to capture the precise wording of the original text and the personal style of each Bible writer. And it's amazing they did that and it's so easy to read. ESV is on an eighth grade reading level. It says, thus it seeks to be transparent to the original text transparent, see there's a window, seeing straight through so that there's no veil to the original text, letting the reader see as directly as possible the structure and meaning of the original. Well, that's what I want. That, that's, you know, do they hold to that? Well, I'm going to have to put them to the test on it, but they very much do so. And so I know that that is a reliable translation. There are some false views. You'll read these prefaces and you'll see things like this. The Bible is a book of ideas rather than specific words. What we've seen this morning, the ideas are conveyed in words given by the Holy Spirit. I don't want to change those. And as far as possible, I want to translate word for word. I'd be very careful with making that statement. The Bible should always be clear and easy to understand. What does the Bible say? Well, Jesus says, I tell parables so that people who have a hard heart don't understand it. So not everything's meant to be easy to understand. Peter says that some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. So not everything is meant to be easy. You're, you're meant to read the Bible and contemplate it and think about it. It's not just something that's just supposed to flow right in. All right? Uh, there, there's some things you're supposed to sit with it and study it. Our ancient customs need to be changed for the modern reader. But no, the Bible's an ancient book. It should convey an ancient time in another world. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. I don't see the point in that. Uh, The Bible is old and needs to be revived. In fact, there's a preface of one translation that says that we in this translation have chosen to breathe new life into the Bible. And when I read that, I was like, whoa, that that doesn't make sense to me. How can you breathe new life in the Bible? Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. It's already alive. You can't breathe new life into God's word. Maybe you could translate it better. That, was, that should be the, the idea there. So it, it makes me wonder about that kind of thinking. And then the ultimate goal of producing a version of the Bible is to interpret its thoughts to others. And so they have the idea, we're going to take the thoughts, not the words. We're going to interpret it and tell you what it's saying. Well, I want to understand for myself. I don't need somebody else going through Revelation or in the subject of baptism on my behalf or the subject of elders and changing that. I want a Bible... That translates word for word. Now let's, let's apply this to our practical everyday life. Do you want somebody interpreting stuff for you the way they want to, or do you want it word for word? When it comes to your medical treatment, um, when it comes to your prescription, and your pharmacist says, well, I'm going to interpret this a little bit differently. You know, no. A physician says, you know, I know it says the right arm needs to be uh, operated arm. Let's do the left arm. 
You know, I feel good today. Oh, you know what? Let's do both. You know, no, I want the precision of the words. What about the law? You know, I want the law kept to the word. You know, financial statements. Um, you know, I, I know it says in my bank account that I got five dollars. But let's change that. It should say $500. Or, oh, you know what? Let's do better than that. And you, know, you can't do that, can you? But individuals can go along and do that. And engineering, oh, we're going to build a bridge, but the measurements here and then the supplies we need, you know, we can save some money if we cut some feet off the bridge, you know, and make some adjustments there to the details and the wording of it. No, we wouldn't go along with that. Computer coding, directions, recipes. What happens when you've got a recipe and you go through it and you find out, I got everything but that one ingredient? Sometimes you know you can replace that ingredient, and sometimes you can't. And it will ruin it. All right? Imagine if, and this might be, it might be a day that's coming this, that your phone starts editing your text messages for you. It already does that, doesn't it? It'll autocorrect on there, and you push the button, and it goes to somebody, and the word changes, and you're like, but you got the thought of it. No! That one word made a big difference. And so words matter. And I'm going to convey that, and I hope that we see that this morning from the Scriptures. I want you to notice this. As we're about to, um, we're coming to a point, let's come back to our first point. What matters in the trans, is the translation of words, not just the version or interpreting ideas. Listen to what Jesus says. This is a quote from Deuteronomy. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word. Not every thought is as interpreted through scholars today. It says every word as it's come from God. That's the way I want it. John the Baptist declared that Jesus has the spirit and the words of God. Not the thoughts of God, just the, the concepts or the general message. But the very words. Jesus revealed that his words are spirit and life. John 6.63. Those stand out. Jesus declared that his words will never pass away. And if a translation comes along and starts changing them and altering them, it's not the word of God anymore. Jesus said his words will never pass away, and I want a translation that keeps that. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of him and of his words, he'll be ashamed of you on the day of judgment. I don't want to be ashamed of his words. I want to keep them the way that they are. Those who do not hear the words of God are not of God, Jesus says. John 8 and verse 47. I want the words of God because I want to be of him. I belong to Him. According to 1 Timothy 6, 3-4, one's devotion to God is dependent upon whether one follows the words of God. Not just the general concepts and ideas, but very specific to the words. And Christians ought to remember the words of the apostles as Jude has instructed there in Jude chapter 17. And I can add to this list. You know, I'm just I'm trying to be emphatic this morning. But then someone might say, well, the words matter, but does the grammar really matter if it's past tense or whatever? Yep. Jesus says not one iota or jot will pass away from the law. That not one little stroke or one little mark is going to pass away. It all matters. Jesus made a point by the tense of a word in Matthew 22, and it's also in this, all the synoptic gospels where he says that God is, is that God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not I was. And that was the very point he was making to the Sadducees that there is life after death and that God is still God. In Galatians, Paul does this. He emphasizes the number of the word seed or offspring, that it is singular and not plural. So it matters. The detail matters. And this is why faithful Christians, we believe as Christ taught from the Bible, that the Bible is God's book and that it is unbreakable unto every word. 
And I want to be faithful to the words of God. I don't want to change it or alter it or give someone else my own interpretation. I want to give the truth. So I encourage you this morning, what do you, what do, you do with the words of God? What do you think about the Scriptures and the Bible? What translation are you using? Read the preface. Study those things. Put it to the test, to those faithful translations that we know from before, like the, the old King James. And Does it line up? Is it, is it merely updating or is it doing something else? Is it changing doctrine and truth? I don't want to use that translation. And lastly, I want to leave you with these words from Christ. In John chapter 12, which was our scripture reading this morning, John 12, 47 to 48, Jesus announced, He says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. That's the purpose. But he who rejects me and does not receive my words as one who judges him, the word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. That's a powerful passage. The day of judgment. I'll be judged by the words of Christ. I need his grace and his mercy. I need His help and His blessing, and I want every word that is there in Scripture as much as I can get a faithful translation. I want every bit of it. I want a high-definition Bible. So I want to come back to that passage that we talked about at the beginning, Acts twenty-two sixteen. Next for a very fitting invitation this morning. Why do you delay? Rise up and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on His name. All right, will you obey the gospel this morning? Have you put on Christ in baptism? Have you confessed Christ with your mouth? Have you repented of your sins? You can, after repenting, again, be baptized and begin a new life. You need prayers. You need encouragement this morning. We encourage you to come forward and pray with us or find a faithful Christian with you to pray with you, to encourage you, to study the Bible with you. Let's do these things. Let's live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Whatever your needs are, we encourage you to come forward now. Let's stand and sing together.